This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. Remember being a kid, consuming movies and TV by the handful as if they were Skittles or M&Ms or a third pelletized candy? You had no regard for what you were enjoying or what will last with you. It's just like a shovel to catch you up on the history of Western culture. Rachel Bloom was a kid once, too, consuming mostly musical theater movies and original cast recordings. Then she saw Space Jam, and the rest was history. What, what if I just ended it there? That was the entire intro. No, I'll explain. So uh, as we get into in, in the episode, musical theater brought Rachel to NYU, which is also where she discovered sketch comedy. However, it was after college when she came up with the idea to merge the two, with a little help from Michael Jordan and a whole mess of Looney Tunes. Rachel wrote a musical sketch about Space Jam, and things clicked, and kept on clicking all their way to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the show she stars in and co-created, which is currently wrapping up its insanely acclaimed four-season run right now. So let's hear the Space Jam song. I should know that Rachel never actually recorded an official version of the song, so what's available is a hard-to-hear live performance of it. For what it's worth, uh, you can find the lyrics of the song in the notes for this week's episode. I also say, since this is an audio medium, that during the performance, Rachel is dancing in the style of a chorus line. To see, we'll embed the video in the vulture post of this episode. So, coming to the stage, here is Rachel Bloom. Let's do the next song. (laughs) So this next song I'm going to do for you is from the recent... Broadway revival of a chorus line. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm the director from a chorus line. <laughs> you know me. I've been auditioning you all day for this unnamed Broadway show. <laughs> and I'm so impressed by how all of you really bared your souls through song and dance about life's bitter hardships. There's only one person who hasn't bared their soul. Number 34. <laughs> me? Ah, uh, gee, I don't know if I have anything to say. I'm sure you have something important to sing about, something that bears your soul. Well, <laughs> I've never found a true calling. I wouldn't call theater my life. From vocation to vocation, location to location, I'm just looking for something enthralling. It's true. I've never had my own thing. Unremarkable. A communist dream. <laughs> But there is one movie that's just so damn groovy It gives me a reason to sing And that is the movie Space Jam! Oh my god, I love the movie Space Jam! Is anybody else here seen Space Jam? Allow me to describe the plot of Space Jam!
What do cartoon aliens kidnapping the Looney Tunes have to do with Michael Jordan? It's like magic. Space Jam! I'd actually really prefer it if you stopped. <laughs> I want to hear about something emotional. I will talk about the time that I came out of the closet. Would you like that? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Alright, so when I first realized that I was gay, I was nervous because I thought that no girl Whatever. So these tiny cartoon aliens go. And themselves. So they challenge them to a game of basketball. And aliens go to a basketball game. Space Jam. It's really important to me. Yeah, but why? Why is Space Jam so important to you? When I was five, my daddy left. My mama was addicted to coke. So I joined a group of runaway kids who just as sad and broke. Then one night, this boy named Jake person behind the song you just heard, Rachel Bloom. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So uh, where to start? Where to start? Uh, I think before we get to your writing and your comedy, let's talk about Space Jam. Sure. I believe the, the movie and the soundtrack had a special significance to you. Yeah. So Space Jam was one of the first albums that I owned in elementary school at 
our first talent show, we did to end the talent show a group dance to the song Space Jam. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. My whole life, I had imaginary friends. And a lot of my imaginary friends were characters who were animated. I had a very, very um, elaborate fake marriage in my head in third grade with Bonkers D. Bobcat, the star of the TV show Bonkers. And so anything that involved live action people interacting with cartoons, so Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Space Jam, were like, it was like my imaginary friends come to life. It was like my world come to life. And also at the time... The Space Jam came out, it was 1996. I had a huge crush on a boy who loved basketball. So I wanted to love basketball too. And that was your way in. Yeah, so it was this perfect storm. And so Space Jam has this, and it's also a very weird movie. I mean, it's it's a patchy movie, it's inconsistent. Some parts are amazing, some parts are like, what the fuck? It's just like a, it's a crazy movie. Yeah, it's definitely like three movies at the same time. Yes. I think that's and that your song does capture. It's like, oh, there's this part and there's this part and all and all. Before even this, this is all Space Jam. Also, was in your SNL audition. Hello, I'm Catherine Hepburn, one of the greatest actresses of all time, and this is my audition for the role of Bugs Bunny in the movie Space Jam. Eh, what's up, Doc? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of my go-to non sequitur. Yeah. It's become a cheap thing of like, what's a weird movie that people remember? They're like, oh my God, that weird movie. I haven't seen it in a while. Because I like random specifics of of stuff that you kind of remember that was weird. (laughs) Before we get to the sketch show in which this was all that, in a lot of interviews you have sort of talked about this. You, You go to NYU for music theater performance. And at NYU, you also join Hammercats, the... Legendary NYU sketch group. Oh, Legendary. finally. <laughs> finally, someone's Someone going who's on. heard of Hammercats. <laughs> so you're joining this Hammercats thing. You're doing the musical theater thing. And then it seems like, as you've talked, there's sort of each side was like, to make it musical theater reference, uh, Jets and Sharks being like, which side are you going to choose? You've done your research and love it. Yeah. So yes. can you sort of summarize that part of your, as we lead, get to the point where you're going to be doing this? Well, no one, no one told me how to do that. So the closest thing I could find was, originally I, just, I wanted to be a sketch comedian. I didn't really want to audition for musical theater, and I was like, I just want to be known for sketch. So I had a show go up at UCB shortly after I graduated that I'd written with some friends. They passed on the show, and I was like, okay, from now on, I want to write something alone so that if I get rejected, at least I can, I know it was like, me being rejected, not like, because I would always wonder if it was me working with a group of people. Like, we were rejected on some things that, there were a couple things we got rejected on with this first show that I had been arguing against the whole time. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go down, I want to go down on my own terms. Yeah. So I started writing another show, and it was in the structure of um, the musical A Course Line. It was literally just going to be sketches that illustrated different people coming forward in the show A Course Line to tell their stories. And finally, I thought, okay, well, this is a sketch show from a musical. I have to eventually do a song. And I'd, I'd written a couple songs before. I I, I took a, a summer program with the graduate musical theater writing mm-hmm. program. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I can write a, a song that has that is funny in the way sketches are. And I hadn't really done that before. And I thought, okay, well, what's a good sketch premise? Oh, 
someone in chorus line finally singing after 30 minutes of watching a non-sung show, but they just sing about the movie Space Jam. Yeah. And I remember I came back and I told my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, about this, and he helped me brainstorm it. We were kind of brainstorming all the things that could happen in the song. And then I started to write the lyrics, and my friend Mikey Gaetano wrote the music. Yeah. With whom I'd already collaborated on a children's musical. You were starting to write lyrics to a general rhythm, and then you told him what the music style is. Like, sort of that balance is always a thing that I think people... Yeah. I wrote lyrics to a general rhythm, and then he wrote the music. To that rhythm. I'm more of a lyricist than a composer, but I can compose, and especially when it comes to the hooks and... If there's a specific melody or chords that are in my head of a way to heighten the, of a way to tell the story or strengthen the joke, that's very important to me. But at the time, I was just being a lyricist, and I gave the song over to Mikey to do the music for, and he killed it. When you write lyrics, you do figure out what the game of the thing is going to be first, and yes. then write to that, or figure out the game while the game of the. I mean, these songs are com- are musical sketches. You figure out the game. You figure out the premise. Ideally, you figure out what the title is what what's the hook what's the because that kind of binds everything together sometimes you don't and sometimes you're just writing down jokes that support the game and then the title will be inherent but the general premise you need I mean that's what I come I come premise first idea first and anything I write chances are even if it's dramatic it's high premise so there's a song I'm working on for crazy x right now that's actually more of a dramatic song but it still has a high premise to it Concept comes first, writing down jokes, and then I'll immerse myself in the style or the genre that I want to write, and a rhythm will come through that's kind of instinctive for me. So so it'll be premise, and then you'll think, what is the style that would make sense for this premise? Yeah. Or clash with the premise. Yeah. By make sense, yes. be comedically functional. Yes. How would you describe the sort of game of this? Well, the game of this is, is I think, inherent in understanding it's from a chorus line. So the game of this is... Um, a song written like a serious confessional musical theater song, but it's about a very, very frivolous topic. And then heightening that with what are the ways you can make this song incredibly frivolous? What, what are the ways that you can contrast the emotion behind the song with how weird of a movie Space Jam is? Did you rewatch Space Jam to write it or do you feel like you had it? When I wrote this song, it was based on memory. <laughs> I think I was like, eh, I don't need to rewatch it. It's fine. I want to talk about lyrics, and uh, I want to talk about rhyming. Yeah. So uh, once the song kicks in, it's a B A B rhyming structure. But then the second beat, you you're like you act like you're going to be talking about coming out. It then switches to A B C B rhyming structure. Yep. And then the third beat, where you're going through backstory stuff, it starts kind of A B C B, but then it breaks down to no rhyme. Yes. And then it ends with a rhyme at the end. Yes. Why? Well, God, I mean, I think. Rhyming and trying to be funny is very hard because the essence of actually being laugh out loud funny is surprise. The audience can't see that it's coming. Like a lot of surprise. Yes. Like you can have a little surprise if it rhymes, but you're like, huh. Yeah, exactly. And that's why a lot of musical theater is cute and clever rather than funny because it's so rhymey. Yeah. So you have to subvert expectations. And so you either need a rhyme that's really going to like blow people out of the water or you have to subvert the rhyme itself and I think especially in Space Jam a lot of those jokes are not done on a rhyme because I didn't want people to see what was coming if you say fall you'd be like oh be basketball and you're like oh, just think of what it'd be a rhyme 
And that's also the straight man, the straight man, in a way, the straight man of the song. And a lot of these songs is traditional song structure. Yeah. And then when you subvert that, that's the joke. Do you just have a rhyming dictionary open? I do rhyme zone sometimes. Cool, yes. yep. I assumed it was rhyme zone. Yep. I'm like, what? A, this would be the time for everyone to know everyone uses rhyme zone. But like, I've, I've been coming around to rhyming more, especially working with Adam Schlesinger, who really wants everything to rhyme. And so I've made as much of an effort as possible to yeah. try the rhyme before I completely give up on yeah, it. Yeah, because I think in musical theater, people are very particular about that things rhyme, like really rhyme, not yes. like slant rhyme. That was like, I had a co worker who was very mad at Hamilton because that's slant rhymes, but like hip hop, if you have only true rhymes, it sounds like really corny. I just, who cares? Who cares? I, I, I'm a little bit like, okay, fine. If it sounds good and it's a good song, I don't know. I'm very lazy with like exact rhymes and slant rhymes. I just don't. Yeah, I, I guess the question would be if the rhyme will make it seem more like the song it is or maybe sort of like the genre it is. Yeah. I think rhyming is very easy when you're doing the genre straightforward. When you're trying to do the jokes, that's when it gets a lot more challenging. Yeah. I mean, I think they're a clunky rhyme in this like amusement park Business has been bad till the alien CEO has a genius spark. He's voiced by Danny DeVito. So the joke of that line isn't genius spark. The joke of that is he's voiced by Danny DeVito. Yeah. So this is like me. I mean, again, like beginnings of writing comedy songs of like not even attempting to do a joke on the rhyme. Just being like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, it's 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 like because I was so tired of musical theater being so predictable and cutesy. In general, are there other rules that you feel like you need to adhere to or subvert? No, I mean generally the basics of which I actually were codified to me in a musical musical improv class of you either have verse chorus verse chorus bridge verse chorus or mm-hmm. if it's a tagline song verse verse bridge verse. Tag I generally line. adhere yeah. to that. Yeah, it's an essay. I mean, I see these songs as they're essays. They're your thesis statement is the title. Your verses are supporting paragraphs, and then your bridge is like going away <laughs> really? Both? and kind of exploring the counter argument. So I was thinking about sort of the sort of the broad version of this question is like how good are your songs supposed to be? But in, in the sense of like when I talk to Bo Burnham, his big thing is he wants to be able to sort of make fun of a thing, but also use the benefit of using the genre or whatever. So it's like oh, if you're giving like a big musical number, you want to sort of um, undercut the idea of big musical numbers, but also use the uh, emotive or the ability to influence people as much as a big musical number does. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my favorite songs that I've been involved in writing do all of it, have a good joke, but also use the fact that it's a song and songs are emotional. Songs access a deep, primal, emotional part of our psyche to get real and get serious and not be emotionally insincere. It's the thing that song musical comedy can do. It can sort of just like it can balance things and get to people and not allow it gets to a sort of essence of things that I think other comedies are sort of struggles with because it's people talking. Yep. That I think it is what your show is able to keep on uh, tapping into. We'll be back with more Rachel Bloom after this word from our sponsor. Hi, me here. Since you seemingly like the podcast as you are listening to it, I, I want to tell you about a very super exciting live show we're doing in Brooklyn. On January 11th, we'll be doing a live good one at Union Hall with the extra special guest, Julie Klausner, creator and star of Difficult People, 
host of the How Was Your Week podcast, writer of I Don't Care About Your Band. Julie was actually the first comedy person I ever interviewed, and I've been waiting for the right time to have her on the show. Julie loves jokes, and she writes, like, jokes, you know, the the sort that take up space in an episode and and demand you live in them for a minute. We'll also have other fun stuff, like mini-interviews with up-and-coming comedians I adore about jokes they performed that night. So again, that is January 11th at Union Hall as part of the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. It would be so great and mean so much if you came out. Now, back to me. And we're back with Rachel Bloom. Uh, so when re-listening to the song, I, I, I know I've heard it before, but then re-listening for that, I was looking for one specific type of joke, and I was very excited when it happened, which was uh, you have the director go, you're just singing the plot of the movie Space Jam. Yes. Which, as you must know, it's a style joke that you use a lot. And like in which I don't know if anyone will notice was essentially I am associated with Anchorman as like really pioneering the doing a thing and then saying you're doing the thing. But it's it's a very to me, a very UCB style thing. That's the thing is like all of these things that are popularized by mainstream movies. You already see them in indie comedy theaters yeah. five, ten years before. That as a popular example, as a person who has not been in all those indie movies. Yes. Is it like I think of it as playing on top of your intelligence of calling out the thing that is happening. Correct. Go through some other examples of what you've done since and just sort of why do you like using them? Oh, because you wow. do it's in a lot of I it's, mean it's like there's always a moment. Well, I like having moments of gravity. Um it's almost even like in an, pictures of your dick where she runs into the ex and he's like, Stop posting pictures of my dick on the internet, you crazy person. I will sue you for invasion of privacy, you fucking insane bitch. It's the first person and the first time in the song to acknowledge that the song is crazy or that, that, that the premise is not normal. It's the first person to call it the premise because when you're doing comedy songs, your straight man is the style. Yeah. Your straight man is the genre. So you don't necessarily need a straight man to come in and go, that's weird. But when you do, it's fun because you're kind of waiting for it and expecting it. Like I'm waiting for my avatar in reality to come in and be like, this is crazy what's happening. Yeah. And I like playing with when that happens and if it needs to happen. Because like whenever I think about future songs now, I have to go through like the entire song list of crazy acts. I like those meta moments. I mean, we have the song Love Kernels from season two of Crazy X where we talk about how expensive the video is. Yeah. And I think it's something that needs to be called out, how highfalutin these videos are because we've been doing it and it's very artsy. But another layer of mocking a highfalutin artsy style or honoring it is calling out how expensive it is. Yeah. And saying, like, this video, you know, blew out our entire production budget. We used up every cent. That's another. And that's when you start getting meta on the show. With, okay, if you're doing a comedy song to the the fullest height of your intelligence and, like, the fullest extent it can be done, you're going to call out the tropes of the song in sometimes meta ways as well. Preparing for this, like almost every profile of you points out that you're blunt. Yeah. Which I feel like it's like it is a direct thing. It's it's similar also that you do not wait to establish what the premise is. For the most part, you'll be like, this is the premise of this. The game is here. Yeah. We're going to say what it is off the game. Yeah, because otherwise be a- every second you're not laughing at, every second you don't know what's happening is kind of a wasted moment. It just so it feels indulgent, especially in a show where you're like, oh, we're going to have, then you're like, oh, she's just singing? She's showing how good she is at singing? If you if you don't have a joke. Yeah, it, oh, that's a really good point. Um, But also get to the thing. 
What are you talking about? Get yeah. to the thing you're talking about. What do you feel like these moments serve the show in terms of character development opposed to just the comedy of it? Like, what do you think they're useful in terms of characterization? The melody and music, it's the person's heart. It's their emotions. So no matter what they're saying, the music really shows you what this person's soul is. And I think it then helps you empathize with the characters. You once said then they codify subtext is a word you use. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also interesting. That was smart past me. The songs are self-aware often in a way that the characters don't then act upon. Like there's a self-awareness in the songs that they, and I think that opposed to like songs that might move the plot forward, right? Yeah. And I think that is the thing that you also talked about, like that would not work in this show. Well, because then the show changes. So, well, also plot, at least the way I learned it, plot is kind of the death of a comedic game because the second you change the plot, then the premise of the song changes. So plot is good for drama, but I think for comedy, for living in a moment and fully exploring a comedic moment, often it's hard to do and, yeah. and remain funny. Though it happens less frequently, in non-musicals, you also will sometimes do little meta things. Like there's a joke where you say something like, oh, I guess that was from my perspective. What is the line that you're willing to do? Because that is a, right, it's like the the the, sh- the musicals are heightened and the rest is every- naturalistic. But what is the line that you feel like a little bit comfortable Well, with? Rebecca is thinking these and imagining these things. That is the show. And that is organic to the show to call out and for her to realize that she's said these things. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, what the characters know, the characters don't know they're in a TV show. And so any sort of meta winkiness is almost us reaching out through the characters, but the characters don't realize they're being used. Yeah. God, it just depends on the joke. Yeah. The show is a deconstruction of musicals and romantic comedies. And when you deconstruct, you mock and you call out and you are self-aware in a way that you wouldn't be if you were just doing the thing. I think that gets at something really interesting in sort of the fundamental structure, which is if real people acted like characters in TV shows and movies, they'd be like diagnosedly crazy. Sure. Considering this, how do you still make the, the development of the characters feel television-y? Well, you have to make it clear what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And there has to be, we're still telling a story. So there is an arc and there is movement. And there is a, a especially in the tone of our show, there is a certain sharpness to it that maybe is a slightly heightened version of reality. It's all about like what is recognizable in this to what people are actually like. And that to me is the key to this all is what is something that we've gone through or experienced or want to say about this character that we haven't seen before that is true to real life that people don't seem to be talking about. I think the show is good at showing what is funny about mental illness and not funny in a sort of dark way of like, I was thinking that in many ways mental illness is like a banana peel that's in your brain. Like you're sort of like going, you're trying your best to be not this mental illness. And then you sort of. That's so interesting. (laughs) How do you do that without making it so frustrating? Like, how do you, like, I think it's frustrating if these were real people, but like, how do you. If you understand where it's coming from. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way. I think it's not frustrating. You understand why they're doing what they're doing and where it's coming from so you can be in their head. And root for them rather than why is this person self-sabotaging for no reason? Yeah. To me, that's what it is. It's there is a reason. It's not. A, it's not like it, they might not even know that. You sort of we as a, a viewer are sort of understanding the reason. Yeah, I mean, I think 
You don't have to like a character. You just have to understand them. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it's lazy writing. So the Space Jam song has a, a dark ending. Yes. When writing that, is that just sort of where your brain goes? Or you're like, time, or, or do you go like, okay, we wrote this first part, third beat, I want a dark ending, you know, and then yeah, especially in a, in a one-off comedy song, I, you want to have a button, you want to have some something to maybe undercut any emotion. Less so in Crazy X, especially as the season has gone on, like because we are telling, as the series has gone on, rather because we're telling, um, there are some songs that come in that are almost like series arc songs, and you're invested in these characters. It's different than if it were one-off comedy songs. You can push a certain sort of darkness because you don't have to then pay it off. In the context of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I was thinking specifically about the song's relationship to pop culture because she uses Space Jam to cover up her darkness for the first two-thirds of this song. Well, sure, it's 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 the whole song could just be about the movie Space Jam, but I then it's like, why are you so into Space Jam? That's calling out the reality. And that's where I think it gets really interesting. Yeah. Is when you can get emotional in the way a musical theater song would be. If you look at this song and then sort of the songs you've done and songs in, inherently themselves are popular culture, what do you feel like your feeling about popular culture is vis-a-vis people's psychology? I think it provides us narratives that are sometimes helpful and sometimes hurtful. I think that it organizes our brains, are used to seeing patterns. And I think that um, I get very, myself included, I get very swept up in this idea that things in life are harmonious, meant to be, there's a rhythm, there's a symmetry, but life is chaos. And so I think that that's maybe a detriment of pop culture is distracting us from the fact that life is chaos and then you die. You know, so you've, you've talked about how at first Rebecca has these songs and then as she infects people sort of with Rebecca-ness, they have the songs. And mm. in the current season, you essentially have the entire company yeah. sing. So I was thinking about if the songs are good or positive or negative. Considering that ultimately you know the audience likes the songs, mm-hmm. do you feel like you're trying to say the audience is complicit in the suffering of the characters? <laughs> um, I would say for the second, no. Okay. Um, and if we do, we play with that. I mean, because the songs don't always come from suffering. They come from emotion. Yeah, sometimes for, they're just For like, better or for worse. Yeah. Um, look, heightened emotion lends itself to music. And I think that that's why maybe in more settled moments, it lends itself to music less. But that's not to say strong emotions are bad. Yeah. So it's it's a mixed bag. It depends on the song. But I think that no matter what emotional state the characters are in, the song is them trying to understand what they're feeling. Talking about Crazy X, you said you really like songs that deal with uh, maintaining composure and keeping control. Uh, you also said Rebecca that you're not trying to make her likable, but you said uh, you're trying to have people understand her. And that's also like this song in a way. I mean, we don't know who this person is, but sure. how much is this person a proto-Rebecca Bunch? How And so many characters, you're doing the music videos, not to mention Broadway crazy. Like, yeah. essentially, com- comedians have personas and then they make these shows based on them. And, you know, how much does this show feel like you're sort of doing a specific thing about air quotes, craziness. There is a very clean line, especially because Aline found me for the show based on the music videos that I've been doing. And yeah, I mean, that is my alter ego is um, this kind of, uh, it's a it's a cracked out ingenue. Yeah. For lack of a better way to say it, it's it's a, it's the deconstruction of a starry-eyed, starry-eyed ingenue. It's a very, very clean line. This show deepens it immensely and elaborates on it, but, yeah. but at the core there is that alter ego that I'd been exploring. So you do this sketch, and how did you feel about it? 
you know, this is your first song. Yeah. What then happens with it? Well, I did it in the first show I had at UCB called Sing Out Louise, which was um, a show in the context of a basic cable show about what was currently on Broadway. Oh, so, so what happened was I wrote this song. I played it for my boyfriend, now husband, and he was like, this is your show. Yeah. The sketch stuff everyone else is doing, no one's doing this. So then I took some time and I was like, you're kind of right. And I thought, well, what if I did an all-musical sketch show? And I wrote the show, Sing Out Louise, which was um, the title of a, in the sh- within the show, a cable access show called Sing Out Louise, hosted by two hosts, kind of like a taxi TV feel. Um, and so those were our video interstitials. And then the musical sketches were, let's see what is on Broadway this yeah. year. So everything was in the context of, let's see what's on Broadway. So the context was like, this was a, a new version of a chorus line with a cut song. And then the show ran at UCB for a couple months. I did it at UCB LA when I first moved to LA. And then I wanted to do another solo show in LA when I lived there. And I called it Rachel Bloom is a Triple Threat. And the context of that was I, I played a version of myself that had been on Broadway as Annie when I was 11 and had been locked in a basement for three years, um, was out and now trying to restart her acting career. And I put Space Jam in that as well. And then Fuck Me Red, Pray Bad Barry. And then Came all. in the middle of that. And that is a song that I'd written in college and didn't know what to do with. And then kind of wanted a calling card as a comedian. So that was kind of between the two shows. So we sort of spent this time and we we're like, literally I was talking about how Space Jam is sort of this song that was sort of, it was a culmination of what you were doing in college and then sort of a lot of your career has come from Space Jam. So to quote a song from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Because life is a gradual series of revelations that occur over a period of time. Some things might happen that seem connected, but there's not always a reason or rhyme. People are... How do you feel about interviews like this that connect and make a narrative over an arc? You know, like that while doing it, I was like, this is a thing that is like what your show is ultimately running counter to. I think narrative is different than patterns and themes. I think that narrative is like, yes, life is random, but I think people have running patterns and running themes that maybe are never resolved and never arc out and never have like a denouement and a revelation. But I think that we all have, that's kind of what a comedic voice is. What are the running patterns in your mind, in your life? What are the things you want to say? And I think that to force a maybe narrative on top of that, like a narrative progression, like, oh, you did Space Jam and then you started to get into a darker period where you blah, 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 blah. Like that maybe would be forcing a narrative. But I think theme and point of view are very real. Uh, that sound means it's time for our final segment which is the laughing round it's like a lightning round but because this is comedy it's a laughing round great so do you remember any parts of your tour or haftar portions i wasn't bat mitzvah (gasps) what i quit hebrew school because i wanted to do more theater it's very off-brand i know i'm so mad sorry do you know (laughs) all right this is fun this is a this is barely a question, but I was listening to pictures of your dick and I realized there's there must be chord patterns that are exactly like the last song in Hamilton. Really? I'm just gonna play it. Yeah. And I'm still not through. I asked 
myself, what would you do if you had more time? The Lord in his kindness, he gives me what you always wanted. Now all I can do is lay around and add a speech bubble that says cheerio. I'm Tim's tiny dick all the way to a party. Pip, pip. The thing is, there are just certain chord progressions that have that heart-wrenching. I think that um, that's a type of chord that it, it pulls you. It's There's a longing to it. It pulls your heartstrings. It just is crazy to me when I heard oh. that. I was like, that's the same thing. Oh. <laughs> um, is there a comedy song that you wish you wrote that you could steal that could be part of your career and no one would know that anyone else wrote that song? It's just your song. It's added to your the great Rachel Bloom songbook. There are so many songs on Crazy X. There are a few that I didn't write. That I kind of try to not take credit for. Like, um, you look at a song like What'll It Be? Can't you see West Covina? You're killing me, West Covina. Let's call West Covina. What'll it be? Or could if I wanted to. But I could if I wanted to, yeah. What you freaking do if I wanted to? That's all Adam and Jack, respectively. And I'm so jealous because they're such good songs. Um, Milk Milk Lemonade from Inside Amy Schumer feels like a very me song. And I was like, ah, damn it. Milk, milk, lemonade. Milk, milk, lemonade. Milk, milk, lemonade. Round the corner fudges me. Let's say there was an evening with Rachel Bloom. Yep. As quickly as possible, what are 10 songs would you sing? Of my own. Or any. An evening with could be you sing the standards mixed with. Sure. Probably the song will come out tomorrow because that was my first song. Pictures of your dick, the cake fart song that I sing live. I wanna spread my ass cheeks and fart on a cake. And I wanna do it on film. Stupid bitch. Putting it together from Sunday in the Park with George, me doing like all those parts, and probably like five more crazy X songs. <laughs> There's a thing is we have a we'll have 150 songs by the time we end. So I'm like, oh man, what are the songs that encapsulate me? Yeah. Math of Love Triangles is in there. I wasn't really listening, but I can see the center of the triangle is little old me. Strip away my consciousness in there. Away my conscience, peel away my values, rip off my compassion with your teeth. You gotta have a gimmick from gypsies in there, probably. So, for the final thing, what we'll do, um, I don't have a name for this sort of game, but I will uh, say crazy ex girlfriend songs or songs from your career, and you can sing a word or phrase, whatever comes to mind. And away we go. Right. West Covina. West Covina. Jap Battle. Just Adam Schlesinger. You stupid bitch. Poopy little slut. Let's generalize about men. I think that's my favorite song. Oh, I love that one. It's so good. I'm a big fan of that one. A diagnosis? I mean, it's funny, the opening vamps really stick with me. Is it because when recording it, you have to hear that part the most? Probably. Yep. Uh, the math of a love triangle. Ooh, are you erect? <laughs> this is, I think this is working. Uh, lo- love kernels. Where's my phone? Sexy getting ready song. Body rolls are really hard. Tell me I'm okay, Patrick. Did I miss the day in school? 
they taught you how to be in person, like that whole monologue. Heavy boobs. Dun, 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 dun. No one else is singing my song. And they echo at a different moment. Moment. What's your story? Ratata. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> last two, Ray Bradbury. Or fuck me, Ray Bradbury. Something wicked this way will come. Are you proud of that? And lastly, Space Jam. If Looney Tunes can be basketball, who says I can't quit drugs? Because that was the biggest laugh line. The end. Yay! And now we all can take naps. That's it for another episode of Good One. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's final season is currently airing on The CW, Fridays at 9. Follow Rachel on Twitter, at Rachel Does Stuff, which is also the name of her YouTube channel, if you want to watch all the music she's created over the years. Good One is produced by Mike Comte, with production help from Marissa Melnick, and research help from Matthew Silver. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write our review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back next week with a new episode and a new joke. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>